Well, good morning. Good morning, Shore Church. Uh, my name is Jordan. Really happy to have you with us. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open to Romans 5. We're going to be jumping around a bit, but that's where we'll be mainly. We are starting our brand new Easter series called Rescue, where we are going to look at the implications for us of the greatest rescue in the history of the earth, which took place on Easter weekend. So I'm excited to dive into that today and in these coming weeks. Now, um, a couple of reminders for us. We are going to have a Good Friday service on Good Friday, of course. That's going to be live streamed at 10 a.m. And of course, we're going to have an Easter Sunday service at 10. And we actually have uh, physical invite cards for you to come pick up. We're going to be here after the service at LGCA until about 12.30. So we encourage you to come pick up some invite cards, give them to your neighbors, to your friends, whomever. Um, as well with that is Tracy has put together some really great kids packages with Easter eggs, candy, Easter activities. Um, so really good stuff there. Come pick those up for your kids or for your friends' kids. All right. Now, major spoiler alert out of the gate here. I'm about to give some major Avengers Infinity War spoilers. So if you haven't watched that yet, maybe just hit mute for the next one minute. But um, I'm a huge Marvel fan, huge fan of the Avengers, and why I love Infinity War is because we have just a decade worth of superheroes that we all love coming together to fight this big evil purple guy named Thanos. All right, but, but what happens in Infinity War that's unique to the other movies is basically for the entirety of the movie, Thanos ceremoniously just kicks the butts of all of our heroes. Just one by one, he takes them all down and he collects all of the infinity stones, which are like these powerful gems. I know, I'm losing some of you on this. He collects all of the infinity stones and then at the end, he has them all, he snaps his fingers, uses the power of those stones and kills half of creation. Just like that, half of our favorite heroes, gone, and it's just gut-wrenching. Like when Peter Parker went, oh, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so... That's just heartbreaking, man. And then Thanos goes and sits on his patio, and the credits roll. And it's just over. Like, what? All my favorite heroes are just gone? And if that's the end of the story, then that's rough, man. Like, that is some bad, bad news. But... But luckily, one year later, Avengers Endgame comes out. I'm not going to get into all of that. But Avengers Endgame comes out, and our heroes, half our heroes are there, and they undo everything that happened. And there's even an interesting biblical parallel where there's a life-giving sacrifice to save the world. Well, why do, I, why do I say all this? Okay, besides, I can't resist talking about Marvel. Um, I say all this because in order for us to grasp the importance and the beauty and the love involved in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have to first understand why it had to happen. And the only way to do that is to head down a road that might seem like bad news after bad news after bad news. But just like Infinity War, that's not the end. Here's the sobering reality for us this morning. This is going to set up where we're going. It's that you can only see Jesus as a great Savior when you can see yourself as a great sinner. And here's what I will contend with you this morning. 
that if you do not see Jesus as a great savior in your life, I'm not saying what you would profess with your mouth, what you think you believe. If you don't, do not consider Jesus as a great and precious savior, the one who you run to first when any problem happens in your life, the one who you run to as the root and foundation for all your decisions. If he's not that to you, one of the primary reasons might be that you have a misunderstanding or a diminished weak view of sin. And I know this isn't uh, the most popular topic. We like to avoid talking about sin, especially in the culture we live in in 2021 that really thrives on building people up through positive vibes and, and good energy and harmony and throwing out good juju into the world, which often comes at the expense of deconstructing God's word and his design for the world. And I'm not going to do that. I'm, I want to fight for truth. I want to fight for what the scriptures say because I really care and love you and the state of your soul. And so have this mind upon you this morning that yes, we are great sinners. Yes, we have all fallen short. Yes, we are so bad that someone had to die for us. But at the same time, out of an overflow of love, he was glad to die for us. And, and so it's important that we feel the weight of our sin, yes. But we don't dwell there. We don't get stuck there. Because by no work of your own, you have been set free from that. We didn't have to do anything. We are set free by no work of our own. That's, that's probably the major difference between Christianity and other worldly religions. Like maybe you've heard this language before. Religion will say, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I need to do these things. I need to clean myself up. I need to be in my best behavior so that I will be loved and accepted by God or whoever it is that I worship. One of the problems of many that I see with that logic is I wonder, like, where's the scoreboard? How do I know where I stand? Is there an app to track my progress? How do I know where I am in the grand scheme of things? But the gospel, the gospel says, I am accepted. Therefore, I obey. We are accepted first as we are. Jesus says, it is by no work of your own. You don't have to do anything because it's already done. That's it. And so with that as our mindset, and I wanted to start that way, to help us guard our hearts from any condemnation which we are not under anymore because of the cross. We need to guard our hearts from worldly guilt. And instead, we might experience godly conviction, which is a good thing. Here's what we're going to work through today. Two things, really simple, though I think it may be challenging for our hearts. Two things. Number one, we're going to look at our ruin. And number two, we're going to look at our rescue. And this morning and this whole week, my, my hope has been that we would be able to grasp just the weight and the severity and the totality of our ruin, which is caused by sin, because it is going to lead us into better understanding and being able to fully experience the beauty of our rescue. 
So look with me in Romans 5, verse 12. In, in 25 words, Paul is going to describe the ruin of mankind, where this all stems from. Look with me, Romans 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that being Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. All of us all sinned. Now, the ruin that Paul is talking about here is the ruin that came to us in the garden in the fall of Adam in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, God says that Adam was forbidden to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and if he did so, he would die and sin would enter the world. Only one chapter later in chapter 3, what happens? Adam eats off of the tree. And by doing so, death and sin spread to all men and women for all time. That's why Paul says, all sinned. That phrase is of utmost importance. Christian theology is built on that, that all sinned. In fact, all sinned is, is used in what's called the aorist tense in the Greek. In the Greek. And, and what that signifies is it was an action completed in the past. And so when we read the text this morning and it says all sinned, it means that everyone, everyone that ever lived sinned, partook in the fullness and disobedience of God in that same moment that Adam first sinned. In simplest terms, when Adam sinned, so did we. And we need to grasp that this morning because the found, that is foundational to our understanding of who we are in the world. And it's foundational to Christian theology. It's part of who we are. Like the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 2, it even says that sin is part of our human nature. It's part of our essence. We are born with it. So like um, last week, my, my brother Andrew and his, his wife Jen, they just gave birth to a beautiful baby boy, super cute, uh, Jasper, Blake, Chong, uh, JBC, I don't know about you, but I can't help but hear JBC without thinking Junior Bacon Cheeseburger from Wendy's. So when I think about your baby, I think about a cheeseburger. But little Jasper, he's born with this essence, this sinful essence that needs to be redeemed. We are all born with that nature and that draw towards sin. Now... I understand that there's a lot of us watching this morning from all kinds of different backgrounds, and um, maybe some of you don't even believe that sin is a real thing. Maybe you think it's like um, a creation of the church or religion in order to dominate society or have power or to judge people. Uh, but let me just say that that way of thinking, that kind of religion, so not the gospel, but religion, According to the scriptures, that's sin. To do things in order to earn favor from God and look down on others who do not do that, that is wicked and sinful. And I know that the church hasn't always done a great job of that, but that is not who Jesus has called us to be. Remember, we didn't do anything. Jesus did it all. And so wherever you stand on this idea of sin this morning, I believe that there is one thing that we can all agree on, okay? Whether you've been in church for decades, your whole life, 
or this is your very first Sunday, or you're an all-out atheist and you hate God. I guess you, I don't I guess you wouldn't hate God if you're an atheist. Anyways. But wherever you are, first, first of all, let me just say that you are, you're so welcome here. Um, there's, there's no judgment on whatever you believe. There's no pressure to believe anything. All I would say is that you listen and you maybe doubt your doubts about Christianity and challenge your own beliefs as much as you challenge ours. That's what I would ask of you. And so wherever you are, I think that something we can all agree on is that something isn't right in the world. Like something's not right. Even if you think about the recent news, something's not right when some guy runs into two different massage parlors and kills everyone inside of them. We can all agree that that's not the way the world should be. You turn on the news and and what do you see? Murder, sickness, racism. And I just feel compelled because, um, I don't know if you, I don't think it's obvious for everyone, um, but I'm half Asian. And the Asian community is hurting right now because of the racism in the world. And uh, I think you would, uh, if you know me, you would describe me as probably like pretty like chill and worry-free and relaxed. Um, Something that I have a legitimate fear about that keeps me up at night is I think about my 70-year-old dad, who's an Asian man, who just loves walking around Vancouver, I have a legitimate worry that someone is going to go and sucker punch him, attack him, or even worse, just because he's Asian. Like, that's messed up that I have to worry about that. But that's a real thing in the world right now. And for many of my Asian brothers and sisters watching this or at the shore, you're in this too. And this is hard. It doesn't make sense. On a more global scale, like, there's civil wars happening right now. Historically, there's been genocide. There's been holocaust, terrorism. It's clear something's not right. On a smaller scale, you can scroll through social media, and what's a popular trend that we're seeing right now? We see a lot of inspirational, encouraging, empowering, self-help quotes and lines. Why? Because we're not happy with life right now. We want things to be fixed. When you check out of the grocery store next, look at the magazine rack. What do you see on almost every cover? Five ways to a better you. Three ways to look better right now. Our entire culture is screaming this message that something's not right, that things aren't as they should be. There's there's all kinds of theories of what this problem might be, where it's all coming from, but biblically, the answer to just about every problem is sin. And, and before we go any further down this road, it's important for us to define what we mean when the Bible says sin. Because on the surface, especially if you, you know, maybe grew up in church or a youth group, um, we're prone to thinking of sin as simply doing bad things. You know, like maybe you think of being told like, don't do drugs, don't drink, don't have sex before marriage, don't lie. And yeah, those things can absolutely be sinful, but sin is not just doing bad things. Like the book of James says, whoever knows the right thing to do 
and fails to do it, that's sin. So sin is not just doing what is wrong, but it is also not doing what you know you should be doing. And beyond that, sin is taking anything that's not God and making that thing the most important thing in your life. And that can be, and often is, morally good things. Right? Like, you can take your spouse and elevate that above God. You can take your children, elevate that above God. Your work, your house, your money, those aren't necessarily bad things. They just become bad things when you elevate them to a place that was designed for God. And so Paul says, this is all of us. All have sinned. Every single one of us, me included, guilty. And, and for a lot of us watching here, I have to imagine, I'm not saying anything new, you know? You know this. But here's my, here's my big fear. That despite the fact that we know that we are sinners, and we know that we don't come close to living in the way that God has designed us to live. And we know that there's things other than God that we pursue as the most important thing. My great fear is that doesn't really bother us that much. And it's not that big of a deal. And we never really feel the weight or the severity of our sin. And and I want to plead with you this morning that that is holding you back from experiencing just how amazing what Jesus did for you on the cross and the freedom and the joy that's available to you right now. And so maybe you're thinking like, wait, what a, if I don't feel the weight of my sin, like, isn't that okay? Doesn't that mean I'm doing pretty well? Well, the truth is, if you don't feel the weight of your sin, the severity of your sin, then you cannot possibly fully celebrate Jesus dying on the cross. And if you don't fully celebrate Jesus dying on the cross, you won't be able to walk with him or worship him fully. And you were designed and created to walk with him and worship him fully. So if you don't understand the weight of your ruin, the rescue won't be that big of a deal to you. And his grace and righteousness won't be something that sets you free. And so it's incredibly important that we feel the severity of our sin because by not, our very purpose and identity is nullified. It's a big deal. Let me ask you a question, and I know the answer to this, but I'm just going to do it anyways. Has anyone here, for you here or at home, ever driven over the speed limit? Hmm? Here's the thing about speeding, okay? Unless there's a cop there to bust you, it doesn't really feel like we're doing anything wrong. And I think a lot of the times, we view sin that way as well. Like, no one's really here. I covered all my tracks. God's not here with me. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that personal. 
But I want to show you that it really is personal, and God definitely has some feelings about sin. As, as one pastor points out, the best way for us to see how our sin affects God is to look at the story of Hosea and Gomer. And if you never read the book of Hosea, you could probably rip through it in 15, 20 minutes after this. But essentially, God comes to a man named Hosea, who is a faithful man of God, who loves God. And God says to Hosea, I want you to go and love this woman named Gomer. The thing about Gomer is she's a prostitute. She sells herself for money, and she's been in this life of wickedness for years. But God says, Gomer, I want you to go and love her despite her darkness, despite that wickedness. I want you to forgive her of all that and woo her out of that life and marry her. And so he does. He, he pursues Gomer. He loves her. And it's this beautiful love story where he woos her out of that life of prostitution and they get married. Like, what a story. But then what happens, not long after, is despite the fact that Gomer has this spouse who loves her unconditionally, she turns his back on him and runs back into her life of prostitution and chooses sin after sin after sin. And look what God says to Hosea in Hosea 3. He says, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. And so he's saying, despite her turning her back on her, on you, you, you chase after her and you love her. Now, think about that for a second if you're married as a spouse, if you're Hosea. How would that make you feel? Like, make you sick to your stomach to think about that. Like, maybe some of you know, sadly, what that feels like. You don't think Hosea just was destroyed? But he still pursued her. He still loved her. Now in the story of Hosea and Gomer, who do you think we identify with? I'll give you a hint, it's not Hosea. That's God. We are the promiscuous Gomer who continues to leave her loving spouse again and again and instead choose our own path and instead choose sin, instead choose what God calls in the book whoredom. And we hear this story or we think about maybe watching this on, on a show or something and we would like not like Gomer, right? We would not like her. We would want to hate her. But we can't do that without consequently hating the sin within ourselves. The story of Hosea and Gomer challenges each of us to look inside our hearts and see how much faithlessness is actually there, but then at the same time look up and see just how faithful God still is to us. It's beautiful. 
It's a beautiful symmetry here in this Old Testament story with the story of Jesus going to the cross for us. You can see that there's real consequences to sin, real pain that happens. But the love of God brings us back and forgives again and again. So God definitely feels certain ways about sin. I'll just read a few. We read Deuteronomy 9, that the Lord is angered by it. Genesis 6, that the Lord feels grief over sin. Romans 2 says he is storing up wrath. Exodus 32 says God will punish sin. Matthew 10, Jesus says God's response to sin is the Greek word Gehenna, which translates in English to hell. And so though it may feel like, you know, it's not that this personal thing, us sinning, and we've gotten away with it, and we've covered all our tracks, God absolutely feels a certain way about it, and it's absolutely personal to him. But why? Why is it so personal to God? Well, here's the thing about the Christian faith, and this hurts our little human brains, but we worship a triune God, okay? One God, three persons. It's hard to comprehend that. But we have God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, all equally God, yet distinct. And in their relationship, you have what uh, I love, C.S. Lewis calls their relationship like a dance, because you have God the Father who loves and glorifies God the Son and God the Spirit, while God the Son loves and glorifies God the Father and God the Spirit, while God the Spirit loves and glorifies God the Father and God the Son. So it's this perfect dance, it's this holy exchange of love playing out in community that then overflows into all of creation, into you and I. And this is how the world was created. It was created out of an overflow of love from the Trinity, which is why, as Christians, we can say that the essence of all creation is love. And that love pours out into the creation, and it pours out into man and woman, which were created in his image, so that we, too, get invited into this intimate, personal relationship. We, too, get invited into this dance with the God of the universe, so that if our relationship was then designed to be this beautiful, loving, intimate, personal thing, then our rebellion or rejection of that is absolutely 100% intimate and personal as well. And so every time we choose worldly things to take the place of God, every time we blatantly disobey his command, say, no, thank you. Every time we partake in what is sinful, we reject this beautiful, loving relationship offered to us, and we turn our back on it. It's creation rejecting its creator. You can see how that feels personal, can't you? Like, I don't, I, don't have, I don't have kids, but I imagine if you had kids and you love them unconditionally and they turn their back on you, how that would feel. Isaiah 59 says that your iniquities, uh, an iniquity is like a draw or a bent towards something. It's not necessarily a sin, but it can be. 
says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And so what happens when we make a habit of sin is we distance ourselves from God. And when we distance ourselves from God, we look to other things to be our source of joy. And they weren't designed for that. And just going to leave us frustrated and unsatisfied. Here's something I think about. Um, It really changed the way that I think about sin. When you, when you picture Jesus dying on the cross, like physically picture, like if you had to draw it, like what, would it, what would it look like in your mind? I think for a lot of us, we tend to picture Jesus hung on the cross and elevated, you know, some eight, ten feet up in the air. But, but historically, a crucifixion was done at eye level. So they would dig a hole in the ground and they would drop the beam of the cross in so that so that when you're hanging there and, and nails are being driven into, your, into Jesus' hands and feet, he's right there, eye to eye, with those who are putting them in him. And so when he's hanging there, which is because of our sin, he's looking right at us. Have you ever thought about... Probably not. It'd be weird to think about it too much. The Old Testament sacrificial system. Like, before Jesus came and was our great substitute, they used to have to sacrifice animals to pay for sin. So like a lamb, a goat, a calf, whatever. Do you think that was like a lovely ceremony? Do you think that that lamb like willingly walked up there? Like, go ahead. I have to imagine like the animal was probably squirming to get free. And when they, when they killed it, I have to think it just made a horrific sound. And when it started pouring out blood, I have to think it just smelled terrible and was disgusting. And that's God saying, this is what your sin is like. And so, this is our ruin. I'm broken. You're broken. The whole world's broken. And this ruin moves into every relationship, every culture, every society. And here's probably the toughest part, especially for our empowered, go get it, 2021 culture that we live in. The toughest part is we can't do anything to fix it. So, like, are you saying that Thanos was right? This is inevitable? Yeah. The great Charles Spurgeon says, I must confess that I never would have been saved if I could have helped it. So 
so what can we do then? What do we do? Well, we can't do anything. But God can. God can. But it's not that simple because he can't just erase all our sins and forget about it and forgive us because then he wouldn't be just. So what do we need? We need a rescuer. We need a savior. Look with me back in Romans 5. We'll pick it up in verse 18. Here comes our rescue. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's such great news. And so here's what happens in our rescue this Easter season. God out of an overflow of love, which he, which he used, that same love to create all things. He looks upon us. He looks upon you. Broken, weak, hopeless, sinful, deserving of wrath, and he sends his son Jesus to be your rescuer. And in our place, Jesus goes to the cross and he dies the death we should have died. God pours out all of the wrath that was reserved for you and I onto his own son so that whomever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's how we're saved from our ruin. What does that mean? Well, it means that when they wrongfully and illegally arrested Jesus, which we'll talk about more in the coming weeks, and they beat him, and they spat on him, and they ripped the beard out of his face, and they mocked him, and they whipped the skin off his back, drove nails into his hands and his feet, and hung him on the cross while the most horrific people came out to watch him hang there and mock him to his face, and while he's drowning in his own blood, what's happening in that moment, the Bible tells us that God is pouring out all of the wrath that was meant for you and I because of our ruin. He's pouring it out instead onto Jesus so that when God looks upon us, he doesn't see any of the mess, none of the sin. He just sees us as perfect, holy, blameless. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's the greatest news in the world. 
So 2,000 years ago, every act of rebellion in my heart, every wicked thought of my mind, all of my selfishness, my idolatry, my lustfulness, every piece of the sinful man of me was nailed to the cross with Jesus. So now when God looks at me, he doesn't see any of that, but he sees his son Jesus. Jesus alone rescues us from our ruin. He rescues us. What does he rescue us from? Romans 7 says he rescues us from slavery and sin. Romans 8, he rescues us from the law of sin and death. 1 Thessalonians, he's rescuing us from the wrath to come. Colossians 1, he rescues us from the power of darkness. John 8, he rescues us from the devil. That's what he rescues us from on the cross. We are no longer under wrath, but under mercy. Am I trying to say that I don't sin and struggle anymore? No. No, no. I'm, I'm still a sinner. And look, you ask me 5, 10, 20 years from now, I'll still be a sinner. But, but I can celebrate and be set free from that. Why? Because, because all of my sin. All of my sins were future sins when Jesus died on the cross. And the Bible says that if I believe and repent that all my wrongs against God are paid for on the cross, that I'm no longer under wrath. I'm out of my ruin and I'm being rescued by Jesus. That's the gospel. That's what we celebrate over Easter. That's what we should celebrate every day. Look, there is, there is no sin. Let me, let me set this up a little bit. Maybe, maybe you haven't heard anything. I think if you only hear one thing, and maybe as we're talking about all this this morning, sin, shame, maybe you have something in your heart or your past that you cannot believe that you did that you can't even think about without having shame just wail on you. You have to know this morning that there is no sin that outpowers the cross. There's nothing that can't be forgiven by Jesus. And you can have freedom and rescue from that right now. You give it to Jesus. You say, Jesus, rescue me from this ruin in my life, and he will. That's our rescuer. No sin outpowers the power of the cross. And so, as I begin to close, you guys can come on up. What then is the proper biblical understanding and response to all of this. Well, let me just say, it's not doing more. It's not doing better. No. I think I've hit that home hard enough. When, when I think about the, the darkness of my heart, 
And I think upon the times where I've turned my back on God. I'm not caught up in guilt and shame. No, rather I'm caught up in awe and praise. Because I know he rescued me from my ruin. That's the mark of a, of a true believer in Christ. That when you sin, you don't run and hide from Jesus. No, instead, you full speed run right to him and let him rescue you because you know he paid it all. And you sit beneath his waterfall of grace that's just going to pour and lavish over top of you for all your days. Spurgeon says this in one of his sermons. He says, you are a great sinner, but he is a greater savior. Do not say that you have matched Christ or overmatched him. Come, Goliath sinner. The son of David can conquer thee or save thee yet. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they red like crimson, they shall be as wool. There is no sin that outpowers the power of our great rescuer, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we just praise you. Without you, we are so lost just wandering in our ruin, stuck in the mud in our sin. But with you, Lord, we are set free from that. And, and right now, I, I just really want to pray for courage for my brothers and sisters who are watching, who are maybe sitting in the weight of sin, and they've never given it to you. I just pray for boldness and courage to repent, to give it to you, Jesus and that they might be set free from that. I just pray for such confidence in you, as the book of Hebrews says, that we can approach your throne with confidence because we know you're gracious and you love us and you'll set us free from that. I pray this wouldn't be something we think about once a year over Easter, but we think about this daily that our sin can, is no match for your grace. Help us, Lord. We need you. The things of this earth look all too attractive to us. Help us just have a greater view of who you are and a lesser view of ourselves and the things around us. Let us just be rooted in the cross of Christ. Pray for, for anyone watching right now who, who doesn't know you, who's never spoken to you, but is feeling something stir up in them that you would just give them uh, the sense of freedom and grace and mercy that maybe they've been searching for in all kinds of things that this world hasn't been able to satisfy. I just pray that you and you alone would penetrate their hearts and set them free. We love you. We thank you. We need you so bad. May we love you more.
pray all these things in your name. Amen.